On today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast, James Gunn says there's not going to be a Suicide Squad 2. Blue Beetle is the first official character of the new DCU that James Gunn and Peter Safran are launching. Exactly how bad is the CGI in the upcoming Flash movie that opens up this weekend? A lot of people asking about that. Their first reviews for Marvel's Secret Invasion have come out. We'll talk about that. Also, talking to James Gunn in his interview, he listed off what he said is the greatest comic book movie of all time. We'll talk about which one that is. And Peacemaker is going to go into production on its season two immediately after Superman Legacy. That and a few things more. The John Campion Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie related show on the planet, Earth, the John Campius Show, coming to you from right here in our little studio. I am, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friend, gather, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies, movie news, TV, and streaming, and all sorts of good things, not just giving you our opinions, but giving you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. It is Wednesday, which means Chris Carr is not here. Wednesdays are her days off, but I am fortunate to be joined by Ray Ora. Are you fortunate? That, that's a good question. That's a, that's a philosophical question. And of course, Jonathan Boyko is hey, here. everybody. And most importantly, you guys are here, and here's how today's show is going to go. We're going to break it down into two parts. The first part of the show, we're going to talk about those predetermined topics. Then in the second part of the show, we're going to take the questions from our YouTube <laughs> channel members. Now, if you're listening to this on podcast, thank you for subscribing to our podcast. We also have a YouTube channel where we put up some daily videos, and we have channel members over there, our beloved channel members. And every day we ask them to send in any topics or questions that they would like to hear us discuss on the show. And we'll get to those just a little bit later. All right. That down, let's get into it here, shall we? And uh, the first thing is this. Now, James Gunn, the new co-CEO of DC, along with Peter Safran, he just recently did this uh, interview on uh, Inside of You, the new podcast by, what's the guy's name played? Michael Rosenbaum. Michael Rosenbaum. Rosenbaum. Yeah, Michael Rosenbaum. And the podcast is fabulous. I, I I love that podcast. I think it's great. So he had James Gunn on. I didn't know. I guess those guys have been friends for like 20 years. Mm. So I had no idea about that. I learned a lot. But James Gunn, and we're going to talk about a number of things that he covered on today's podcast. But James Gunn tr- talked about a lot of things. And one of the things he talked about, he just mentioned very briefly, but I thought was kind of important. And I, I don't see anybody else talking about it. While talking about Peacemaker, and and we'll talk about Peacemaker more in a bit, Suicide Squad came up. Now, of course, he directed a fabulous, fabulous Suicide Squad movie. And the question came up, are you going to do a Suicide Squad 2? Is there going to be a sequel? To which he said, just very quickly, and then they moved on, no. They're not going to have a Suicide Squad sequel. Now, he did point out that you know, we've got characters from Suicide Squad out there. We've got a Peacemaker out there, and season two is going to come. We've got a Waller series that they're doing. That's, of course, going to have a couple of the characters from Suicide Squad, his Suicide Squad. But he said, no, there's there's not going to be a sequel. And I think this is tremendously unfortunate because I thought that movie was fantastic. Like, one of the best DCEU-era movies out there. Maybe... 
the second best, second or third best they did behind Man of Steel. And, but I, I would put it up there. Like, I just really thought it was a fantastic film. The story about Ratcatcher and her father and the way they handled King Shark and the humor in it. And it just, I thought it was bonkers good. However, let's go over to this graphic I have here. So the reality is, if you look right smack dab in the middle there, Suicide Squad only made $168 million at the box office. Now, granted, there are a couple of big asterisks that need to go along with that, right? We were still in the pandemic era. Warner Brothers, under the old ownership of AT&T, made the gigantic, idiotic decision to take all their movies that year and dump them on HBO Max. So Suicide Squad, yeah, it got a theatrical release, but it was also on HBO Max at the same time. So they really cut the knees out from all that kind of stuff. But still, you know, James Gunn, even though this is his franchise, he is now a studio executive and he's got to sit back and go, look, the reality is, it didn't do all that well. And, and I would go so far as to say this. As great of a movie as that Suicide Squad is, even if it hadn't been dropped on HBO Max, and even if it wasn't in a pandemic era, it would have done better, yes. But I, I don't know that it would have been a gigantic hit, right? People weren't clamoring for DC at the time. And the reality is, even though I like the original Suicide Squad, I have fun with it. I mean, it's a hot mess of a movie, but I've had but I had fun with it. A lot of people have very sour tastes in their mouths from the previous Suicide Squad. And so I don't know if it would have been a big, massive hit regardless, so they didn't do it. I don't think it needed a sweet sequel. You know why? They made the dumbest decision ever in that movie. That's to kill off Rick Flagg, baby. Oh, you're talking about in, in James Gunn's Suicide yeah, Squad. Yeah, so they don't need us. Are we talking about a sequel to his Suicide yeah, Squad? Yeah, a sequel right? to his Suicide yeah, Squad. Yeah, so they don't need it. Without Rick Flagg, you don't need another but it was movie. Such, it was such a great moment. It was a, it was an emotional, moving, narratively rich moment that Rick Flagg dies. And, and, and I think it was important for Peacemaker's character oh, development. Oh, it's all about Peacemaker. Well, no, well, what I'm Come saying on, he is, got stabbed in the heart. You could have stabbed him in the neck and the heart. That's I, where it stabbed me. But in yeah, the but heart. Then, when you watch Peacemaker later, like that haunts him, mm. right? That, like that, it's and I, I think that because <laughs> it haunts me. <laughs> it haunts me every day. I like that character. He, br- he brought the group together. You I know love I mean? Rick Flag, but I think that's why. That's one of the things I admire about James Gunn. He was willing to take this character that was so great, and yet for the purpose of the story. Kill him off, and yeah. But in a way, why, why would there be? See, I'm being serious here, right? Without the the, I I saw him as more of like the the leader that brought the group together, kept them in line, tried to keep them in line, right? Without him, it's like there is no group. Maybe they're just disbanded now. I don't. I don't know. I think in the movie, you know, Idris Elba's character kind of became more yeah. the the front and center leader of that, and with Peacemakers character development in season one. It would be nice to see him back with that group. I love the story. Yep. I want to see more Sylvester Stallone's King Shark. I love the story of Ratcatcher. I, I just thought it would be fun to see them together again. What I enjoyed was that Idris Elba and John Cena, like competition they had. The kill-off that was, competition? Yeah, that was, my, that was such a good part right That there. is one of the most bonkers scenes in movies that year what when they were the, like having like, this when they're sharper, go- smaller bullets or something like that. You know, they're having this comp- competition about who can kill people in the coolest oh, way yeah, yeah, because yeah, they're, yeah. Rescuing they're walking someone, through right? the village right which yeah, they yeah. think is a terrorist village right turns out they were all good guys yeah 
That is, by the way, that moment when they realize. He's like, my team is here. That like, this where? was their allies they'd just been killing. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God. I just, I love that what part. What a great opening to, to that. But apparently, yep, not going to be a uh, Suicide Squad. We're two. getting bigger things. We're getting bigger things. I mean, the most important, like we're getting Peacemaker. We're getting Waller. Those characters are still going to be around, and, I guess. And it brings the open to uh, Margot Robbie. Maybe she plays a different character. I don't know. I, I will forever want her as Harley, Harley Quinn. I hope she's Harley Quinn in this new DCU. But you know what? Maybe it'll open her up to a, another role where she kicks ass in that one too. Yeah, I don't think we're going to see Harley I, I I don't think we're going to see Margot Robbie's Harley anymore. We're going to see Harley, you. though. You know that, right? I'm not I'm not completely convinced of that. Other than the Trinity, she's a very popular character. I don't know why you won't even touch but her. I, I don't know that they will. At least not in the next five years. So because, not- like, like, we looked at that one thing. Let me see if I can bring it up here, because Ray put together a really good list. Like, for those of you who are watching the video version here on on Spotify, like, there's a big list here of Chapter 1 of the new DCU, right? Creature Commandos, Waller, Superman, Legacy, and Lantern. Other than Waller, I don't see anywhere in here yeah, that yeah. A, a Harley... Harley Quinn isn't going to be in Swamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think she's going to be in Supergirl 1 of Tomorrow. I don't think she's going to be in Booster Gold. I don't think she's going to be in the Batman Brave and the Bold. I don't think she's going to be in Paradise Lost, nor The Authority, nor Lanterns, nor Superman Legacy, or Creature Commandos. I mean, again, maybe Waller, but I can't see Margot Robbie coming in to do a streaming show. And Creature Commandos is an animation. Right? Yeah, that one's an animation. So I, 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 I'm really excited, no matter what. I'm excited for a lot of stuff they got coming up. I just don't know that we're going to see Harley yeah. Quinn anytime soon. Yeah, you're right. Looking but at that I don't list, know. yeah. We'll find out. All right. Let's move on from that and go to a connected story to this, which is Peacemaker. And we did discuss this a little bit earlier. Uh, We did a video on this on the YouTube channel a little bit earlier. But during that conversation that James Gunn was having, he did mention that there is, number one, going to be a Peacemaker season two. Which, I mean, that has kind of been the assumption since it was the most successful show that they had. And I personally believe it is the best DC show of all time. Like, I think, listen, I'm a big fan of a lot of the stuff that was in the Arrowverse, including Flash and Arrow. I was a big fan of Smallville. All due respect to all those. But I think Peacemaker is hands down, I think, the best show that DC has ever done. And so it was kind of assumed there would be a season two, but, you know, it wasn't listed with chapter one of the new DCU with all those other things. But now James Gunn in that interview, and I'll quote this directly. He said, speaking to, this was from IGN that wrote, speaking on the Inside You podcast, James Gunn shared a little on how Peacemaker would fit into the already incredibly busy DCU schedule. That includes five films and five shows of its own. Now, this is what James Gunn said. He said, Peacemaker's coming back right after I do Superman. That's my next thing. I'll go straight into Peacemaker from Superman. And that comes to us from James Gunn. So I mentioned on the pod or on the uh, YouTube video earlier that we did, that I have two separate thoughts on this. The first thought is, yes, (laughs) yes. It's the best show they've ever done. I love this show so much. And the fact that James Gunn himself is going to be hands-on with things, whether he's just going to write it or whether he's going to, you know, be the controlling producer or whether he's going to be a director of Bungie episode, whatever. James Gunn is clearly going to be very hands-on with Peacemaker season two. This is probably, other than Superman Legacy, 
I think my most anticipated thing DCS coming up because I love the series that much. I really do. Earlier today, I popped on YouTube the opening song and the opening credits for Peacemaker and it just made my day better. Just watching that made my day feel like a happy day. I loved it and I cannot wait to see it. So that's, that's the one thought, right? That's the one thought. The other thought is, hey, James, aren't you supposed to, uh, you know, be the head of the studio now? <laughs> Shouldn't you kind of be busy with kind of bigger picture things and, and the overall development of everything that's going on? Like, like, I understand him directing and writing Superman Legacy. That is the first film setting the tone for the brand new DCU. And to have your head guy be the one to come in and write and direct it to set the direction. Totally got that and completely agree with that. It's a great decision. But once, once you're done with Superman legacy, doesn't somebody need, need to be sitting on the throne? Like, like I get it. Peter Safran's there too, but like, don't you need to be bigger picture? So I'm a, I'm a little bit, a little bit concerned about that. Look, he has a lot riding on this you know he wants to make sure this rocket gets to orbit first <laughs> what is the picture in the corner <laughs> he wants to make sure this rocket gets to orbit first sometimes you yeah. gotta extend your duties in order to make sure something starts <laughs> off right i that's all i think this is i think he just wants to make sure this baby gets off the ground off and running up and running right and that's that's all it is i mean he may be exhausted after all this the first phase whatever but then i think if if everything goes right he can start lending the reins to other people. But I just think he's babying this right now. It's I, I a big it. deal. It's but a big like, deal. Look, all those projects, all those projects are happening. And, and I think they're all coming out before Peacemaker season two. Like, shouldn't he be keeping his eye on all these things? Um, now, is, but, he, is he writing and directing? I, we don't know. Like, he's writing and directing Superman Legacy. No, no. Yeah, but I mean Peacemaker. We don't know. Oh, okay. It's just, it's clear he's going to be very hands on, especially yeah. when he says the words like, Peacemaker's coming back right after I do Superman. I mean, so to it's, be show running a series and be a studio exec, a major studio exec. While just writing and directing one yeah. film and now show running directly, hands on, because yeah. when he says, I, I, I'll, I will go straight into Peacemaker from Superman. Yeah. So it sounds like whether he's directing, writing, or show running, He's to at some degree to some level he's going to be very very hands on in this, and I just can't help but wonder if he shouldn't take a step back. Like Kevin Feige, while he's very hands on with a lot of the stuff at Marvel, Kevin Feige doesn't direct anything. Yeah, and, and he write. doesn't come in and directly show run anything. Like, and I just wonder if again I got it with Superman Legacy to start things off, but maybe at that point you need. I, I, I don't it, gives, know. It, it gives me actually the opposite feeling. It shows me that he has this road. This direction he really wants to go on. He's completely yeah, invested. He's, he's such a creative mind. Like, especially if he loves these properties, it's not going to be that hard for him to like, like direct this the the things that he's he's taking his hands or putting his hands on. Yeah. I just think he's very confident, drug. and I think he knows what he's doing. He's been watching Kevin Feige from afar, probably throughout the good times and the bad times of Marvel. Well, he's working he very closely with Feige. Yeah, yeah he knows exactly. <laughs> where things probably went wrong. And th so, so I have all the confidence in the world. He's going to get this rocket up into I mean, orbit. look, I, you know I, I, will, mean? I will say this. If there's anybody who I think is going to be able to pull this off, it's James Gunn. 
I, I just get, uh, again, I look, just think he should be focusing more on big picture things Look at right this one song, The Gardens of Galaxy Volume 3. He could have packed it up. This guy is a genius. Oh, no, absolutely. But yeah. he wasn't the head of DC right, Studios right, when right, he was making man. Guardians of the Galaxy. He wasn't the head of a studio when as, he made that movie, as right? Long as, not, as he's not taking two things at once, you know. Well, this in a way fine. is actually three things at once. Because oh, really? Well, yeah, you're wrapping up Superman. And also, he, he said, as soon as I'm done with Superman... Well, does that mean like Superman is released or like you're in post-production of Superman and you start pre-production of, of, yeah, uh, I think, I think he's saying, I think he's saying, and again, this is a little bit of interpretation here, but I think what he's saying is the moment, like before the movie comes out, the moment I'm done on that movie, like once, once everything's wrapped, once the, yeah, we got picture lock. I'm rolling right My, into Peacemaker. Yeah, his focus. Yeah. His focus. But he's turns. still running. And I think his focus needs to then, instead of turning to Peacemaker, which, don't get me wrong, I am so fucking happy he's doing Peacemaker. I totally am. I'm just saying, for to play devil's advocate, right. I just wonder if he once he's so laser-focused on one <laughs> project, DC uh, Superman uh, Legacy, if he then should not remove his focus from just one project and start to look at all ten. Yeah, you know, my, I, I but and so I don't know. But again, if anybody can do it, it's James Gunn. My one worry, if there's any, is the release schedule. If he's focusing on one thing, we won't get the next thing for a little bit after that. Well, you know but remember, I mean? they can make stuff without him. I All mean, right, they, right, they right. can be in production on five of these things at once because he's not writing and directing. He's a studio head, right. right? And I just, I just, I need him back in that throne. So I don't know. We'll yeah, see. Good luck to him, man. Good let's, luck to him, yeah, indeed. Let's do it. All right, that down. Let's move on to our Mint Mobile hotline question of the day. In case you guys didn't know, we have a Mint Mobile hotline that you can call in a question or topic to be turned into its own standalone YouTube uh, video or to be addressed right here on the podcast. And if you've got a question or topic you'd like us to address and you'd like to hear your voice, go ahead and call it in anytime, 24-7 to 951-268-4259. And today's question revolves around... uh, Hey, just how bad is some of the CGI in this new Flash movie? Check it out. Hey, this is Phil Lynch calling. Um, so someone leaked a cameo in The Flash last night showing the CGI, uh, one that we've all been waiting to see. And I'm not going to lie, the CGI looks pretty terrible. Uh, as someone who's seen the movie, is this a choice they decided to go with, or is it just as bad as it looks online? Um I'm not going to lie, I'm excited for The Flash, but this doesn't really give me confidence. Uh, give me some comfort here, John, please. All right, Phil, thanks a lot for calling that in. And yeah, look, Flash is coming out this weekend. Cannot wait. By the way, we're going to be doing an open spoiler discussion for The Flash on Sunday. Uh, so we'll have a big get-together. Come on by, join us on our YouTube channel. We're going to do a big live open spoiler discussion for Flash on Sunday that gives you guys a number of days to go and see it once it opens. And the movie's great. I think the movie's great. Right? If you want to just look up, see what the, the critic re- review. The critics' reviews last, are actually lower than I thought they would be. Last time I saw it, uh, but I'll get it. It was in the right. 70s, the it low 72%, 70s. percent and I believe it's, oh, no. Uh-oh, what's it at now? 69%. Six, no, 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 now it's 70%. When you click on it, it, it says 70%. Okay, so 70%. I, quite frankly... I wasn't expecting this movie to be in the high 90s, but I was expecting it to be in the mid to high 80s, to be honest. Check this out. That's out of 164 reviews, and the audience score 
is 95%. Out of how many? 50 plus uh, reviews. 50 plus, yeah, because only so many people have been able to see those early fan screenings. <laughs> that still looks good to me, man, for well, a movie I'm, that I'm, was in the dirt. For, I'm just, I was honestly, now granted, at 70%, that means if you fresh. gathered 100 critics in the room, 70 of them are saying, we like this movie, and, and only 30 are saying that they don't. But I, I was expecting to be higher because I think this movie is great. I think it's great. I don't think it's one of the greatest comic book films of all time, but I think it is great and a lot of fun. That being said, as we were watching the film last month, there are moments in the film where the CGI... The, the visual effects are a little questionable. There, I, there's no denying that. Particularly, and, you know, the director has talked about this cameo publicly <laughs> and openly, but just in case there's somebody who hasn't heard it, we won't, and since it's not on our thumbnail or anything, we won't right. go into it here. But there are a couple of cameos in the movie, one in particular, and that one in particular is a lot of CGI, and it didn't look great. Now, I just in my brain, when it was going on and happening, I just wrote it off to, ah, it's a style choice. Just, just a style choice, whatever. But I will say this. While the CGI in the cameo did not look great, it did not take away, the non-great CGI didn't take away one ounce of that audience's raving enthusiasm when it came on screen. Now, not everybody realized what the cameo was when it happened, but you could tell in the audience, the audience who knew what that cameo was, they all lost their mind. We saw it in a theater with like four or 5,000 people. And those four or 5,000 people lost their mind. And the fact that the CGI on it wasn't exactly up to snuff, and it wasn't, it was not up to snuff. But even though it wasn't, it didn't take away one single bit of the moment, right? And I think sometimes today we, I mean, listen, listen, every, you want every part of the filmmaking process and art to be done as good as it can be. Absolutely 100%. But that can be true while it also being true that there are some things that don't really take away from the movie. And while I agree there are moments of very questionable CGI, including this one with this cameo. I would contend that it didn't actually take away from the moment at all. I don't know, Ray, you were there with me. You saw this thing. What, what do you think? We, we, when we saw the movie and that part came up, I, I saw it, you saw it. it. It was just bad. It didn't look like it matched with a lot of things. But you yeah. know what? When we were leaving that theater, that wasn't even in my thought at all. Exactly. Like, I didn't, like we didn't I, I didn't even about make it a point. It looked, right? of, we're just thinking about it. Yeah, I, I didn't make it even a point of complaining about it. It wasn't that important to me because, as a whole, I was just so happy that this movie that took so long to come out ended up being really good. It's actually yeah. my favorite DCEU of the old regime uh, movie. And then Man of Steel, probably underneath there. Yeah, but. You know, like I, I, it's sad that um, our, our viewer actually saw that and is questioning off that small part. Like, don't worry about it. You're, I'm pretty sure you're going to like this movie. See, here's the thing. I think it's perfectly fine if everybody finds out the cameo is happening. What I, but I agree with you. I think the really unfortunate thing would be to see it and then to already have it in your mind. I don't like that before seeing it in context of the movie. Yeah. So I think knowing the cameo is there is perfectly fine. I just wish people didn't see the picture of it 
so it might ruin their experience yeah. with the cameo. That's not um, the whole even quality if they knew of the coming. movie. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's not, that's not the quality of the movie. You can't judge it by that. Yeah, no, no I, the movie's great. I, I think most people, I don't think everybody, because all film is subjective. Everybody right. has movie sets, but I think most people are going to have a really good time with it. And I can't wait to watch it again. Yep, yep, yep. All right, guys. Uh, with that down, we're going to take just a minute because we still have, we're going to talk about secret invasion reviews have started to come out. James Gunn talks about what he thinks is actually the greatest comic book movie of all time. He gives a really interesting answer and a little bit of Blue Beetle. But before we get to those things, we're going to take a minute here and thank a couple of the sponsors of today's episode of our podcast, our friends at Masterclass and ExpressVPN. We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the world's best minds anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. You can learn filmmaking from James Cameron himself, you know, the guy who made three of the four biggest films of all time. Improve your writing by taking screenwriting from one of the greatest who's ever done it, Aaron Sorkin. Or maybe learn how to make great comedic content by taking comedy by the one and the only Judd Apatow. And many of you guys know I'm a big poker guy, and I recently got a chance to say down and watch Daniel Negreanu, one of the greatest poker players in the world, teach poker. It was absolutely fantastic. But guys, whatever you're interested in, there is a class for you with over 180 exclusive classes taught by the instructors you know and love. And you can explore lessons in any order you'd like across your phone, tablet, Apple TV, computer, and on the go with audio mode. Individual lessons range from about 10 to 15 minutes in length that fit easily into your everyday life. Guys, I highly recommend you check it out. Get unlimited access to every class and as a John Campius show listener you get 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash campia now that's masterclass.com slash campia for 15% off masterclass Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, ExpressVPN. Guys, it is 2023, and online privacy and security has never been more important. You see, every device, phones, computers, tablets, has a unique IP address, which is like an internet phone number and reveals personal information about you. It's super simple for somebody online who knows what they're doing to find your IP address. If you've ever clicked on a sketchy link or opened an email from somebody you don't know, your IP address could be become exposed. Now that's where ExpressVPN has your back. ExpressVPN is an app that hides your real IP address and replaces it with a dummy one, keeping you safe and private. And you don't have to be some kind of techie to use a VPN. Guys, it is so easy to use. Just download the ExpressVPN app on your phone or computer, tap one button to turn it on, and you're protected. And if you like your streaming entertainment, here's the coolest part. They let you choose what country you want your IP address to look like it's coming from. This is incredibly useful because services like Netflix and Disney Plus give you different shows depending on what country you're in. So secure your family's online activity and unlock tons of new shows by visiting expressvpn.com slash campia. Use my link and you can get three extra months free. That's expressexpress vpn.com slash campia. Go to expressvpn.com slash campia to learn more. And thank you to our friends at Masterclass and ExpressVPN for sponsoring this episode of the John Campia Show podcast. All right, guys, that down, let's go into this. You know, another detail, again, again, like I said before, there was a lot packed into that James Gunn interview. But also included in that was some really interesting things he said about Blue Beetle. Now, of course, Blue Beetle is coming out here uh, mid-August. 
August 18th or something, 16th, 15th, 18th, blah, blah, blah. Right in there, right. mid-August. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere. Blue Beetle's coming out, right? Which is a fascinating project because, number one, it's a it's a character that not a lot of the average movie-going audience is aware of or knows about. But also, it was a movie that was supposed to be made to go directly to streaming. And they took a look at it and said, you know what? This is actually pretty good. We think this should get a theatrical release. Great. Now, I don't think the trailers for Blue Beetle have been the greatest trailers in the world, but I'm still pretty fascinated by this. I think it's got some potential. But at any rate, James Gunn was asked by Michael Rosenbaum about Blue Beetle, and James Gunn said something interesting. Let me bring up this quote here. He said this, I mean, the first DCU character for sure is Blue Beetle, and the first DCU movie is Superman. Again, the first DCEU character, for sure, says James Gunn, is Blue Beetle, and the first DCEU movie is Superman. Okay, so there's a couple things to unpack there, which, and, and we made a video about this one earlier on the YouTube channel, but a couple of fascinating things here. Number one, he says that this Blue Beetle we're about to get in this brand new DCEU that we're starting, that's our first character. Right there. Blue Beetle. Sholo uh, Majirena. I, I forget how to pronounce his last name, but the kid from uh, Karate Kids, uh, Cobra, Cobra Kai. Kai. Starring in this. Looks good. <laughs> right. All this kind of stuff. He's saying this is our first character. But Superman Legacy is the first movie. All right. So... This is how I interpret it. He didn't expand on that a lot in the interview. Here's my interpretation of it. And you guys listening to this, you tell me if you had a different interpretation or not. But my interpretation of what James Gunn was saying was that, hey, Sholo as Blue Beetle, he's going to be part of the new DCU. That is the first guy you're seeing as a part of the new DCU. So Blue Beetle is canon. But the movie is not. Now, that's me interpreting what James Gunn said when he says Blue Beetle's the first character, but Superman is the first movie. That's telling me that all the things that necessarily happen in this Blue Beetle movie are not necessarily going to be canon or reality in the new DCU. So we're going to see Sholo as Blue Beetle, but maybe not necessarily his family in the movie. Not necessarily the events that happen in the movie. Maybe how he becomes Blue Beetle is canon to the new DCU, but maybe everything else surrounding it is not. And then Superman Legacy, the James Gunn movie, that is the first official truly canon movie in that. Now, again, James Gunn did not elaborate. There is some interpretation going on here, but that's what I thought he meant when he said that. I, I'm very excited by this news because, like, when I started, like, the Injustice fighting game, right, there's oh, a God, lot of I characters on there that I'm not familiar with. One of them was Blue Beetle, but his cutscenes and his, like— uh, just what the things he said, I was like, I want to know more about this character. And now we're getting a movie about now, him. In, in Injustice, and, and I love Injustice, but the Blue Beetle, they use, they use the Jaime. Yeah, yeah, right? I believe not, that's... Not the Ted Cord Blue no, Beetle, No, no, right? I okay, believe right. it's Jaime Ray. Yeah. But uh, he, this this could be, this character could end up being a fan favorite. Like, I just agree. because he, his unlimited powers, it seems like he doesn't know everything he could do. He's a kid. 
you know, all, all that stuff is, is great. He might be the cameo guy. That brings everything, like starts putting everything together. I, I don't can't know. See I don't them making him that important. I don't. I don't see him doing them making an actual sequel or a full movie of Blue Beetle and James Gunn's thing. I think he might pop up here and there every now and then in other people's things. Just to just when he says he's the first DC hero, I actually because I don't see another movie being made unless he gets extremely popular from this movie. Well, I mean, but that but that's the big thing, right? It's like how is this movie going to do at the box office? And and I don't know. And let me see if I can find that one chart. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll go back to the same Suicide Squad chart, but Ray put this graphic together. For those of you listening, I'll read it out if you're listening to the podcast, but the last 5 DCEU, remember the old DC is the DCEU, the new one is the DCU, but the last 5 not counting Flash because it's not officially out yet. The last five DCEU movies have all not done well. Birds of Prey, 205 million. Now, some of these need an asterisk besides them because of straight to streaming or because of pandemic. I'm just still just going to go through the pure numbers of it here. Birds of Prey, 205 million. That's worldwide total. Wonder Woman, 1984, 169 million. The Suicide Squad, James Gunn Suicide Squad, 168 million. Black Adam with the world's biggest movie star. Only $393 million. Didn't even crack 400. Shazam! Fury of the Gods, which is a movie that I like, only made $133 million worldwide and what I believe is the biggest flop in the history of the big blockbuster superhero films. Biggest flop ever. And that's the environment under which Blue Beetle's coming out. So, like, if this movie comes out and completely flops, I mean, like, under $200 million, there's definitely not going to be a sequel. And I don't know how much you use Jaime's character, Jaime Reyes's character, if nobody wanted to go see his movie. I, I'm just not sure. Look, where, where this movie will do well in is if it's good. The word of mouth is going to get That's people. the hope. Yeah, that's the hope. So let's just But hope. Shazam, Fury of the Gods was good. No, but you didn't really hear a lot of people saying, go see it. Like, even when we did our review, we're like, if you like the first Shazam, check it out. Yeah. I, we weren't pushing. I, I wasn't well, really yeah, pushing like people Shazam, Fury of the Gods wasn't one of the great comic book movies of the past five years, but it was good. And normally that's, <laughs> you just want a movie that's good. But now it seems like if you're a DC movie, you can't just be good. You can't just be a good, solid movie. Now it's, no one's going to believe that it's any good unless people start coming out saying it's one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. And I don't know if Blue Beetle's going to be that. Let's let's let, let's hope the Flash sets the DC. That's what I was going to so. say. Yeah. That's going to yeah. set the tone. It, it to a better better uh, light. You know, I mean, you know the the Blue Beetle filmmakers are really hoping people love Flash. Yeah, because that that might help Blue Beetle. I think even a little bit, even if it gets five more tickets sold, I think James Gunn saying he's a part of the the new thing might help. Will help a little. A little bit, bit of promotion yeah. there. All right. Well, there's that. Okay. Let's go on and, and talk about this thing uh, here for a second. So switching gears from DC over to Marvel. Marvel mm -hmm. has their new series coming out pretty quick here. Secret Invasion with Samuel Jackson taking the lead on it. And really it's picking up on the story elements that we got in Captain Marvel with the scrolls and what's happened years later after, you know, that, that whole, the events of Captain Marvel and what's going on. Now I have read the script and I like the script. I, I like it. And I've seen some of it. I've seen some bits of it that somebody who was not supposed to show it to me showed to me. Um, and I liked what I saw. I, not enough that I could give you a really overall, because listen, I've read 
In my career, I have read some scripts that I loved and then watched the movie and not loved the movie, even though they're clearly, that's, yep, this is the movie that was made from that script. So sometimes the script reads better than the movie turns out. That being said, I've liked what I've read in the script. I like what I've seen from the show so far. Well, now reviews are coming out. And as of this moment, uh, if I go over to Rotten Tomatoes, they're saying counting 25 reviews, Secret Invasion has a near 70%. It's at a 68% right now. Good. That's a good rating. That means out of 100 critics, 68 of them like it, 32 of them don't. So a good solid majority of the critics like this show so far. Okay, that's great. So let's, I thought we'd take a second here and listen to what some of them had to say about it. So first we're going to start with IndieWire, one of my favorite outlets actually. They didn't like it. Secret Invasion <laughs> proves as tepid as it is inert. Wow, that's not great. Uh, also, the Daily Tele- Telegraph from the UK, another top critic, wrote, Jackson, also they didn't like it, Jackson used to bring a ravish pizzazz to even his darker parts. Here, he seems as fed up with the Marvel formula <laughs> as a growing segment of the audience. Yeah. High praise, high praise. But then we get into some people who liked it. The London Evening Standard right? it's fun enough. This is a Marvel show after all, which means it's a it's slick and polished affair that speeds along, throwing in Easter eggs and zingers with abandon for the fans to savor. All right. Then Empire Magazine liked it. They said, as one of the MCU's most mature projects to date, Secret Invasion is a riveting, tense drama that uh, gifts its actors with weighty material and encourages its audience to look beyond the sheen of superheroism. That is some pretty high damn praise from Empire. You know what? Maybe that review from Empire might be what some people are looking for when he writes, it's the most mature project they've done to date. Mm. Some people might be looking for that. Uh, Then we go to Variety. Variety Magazine liked it. They said, in the main secret invasion has things on its mind that is content to tease out in a pace that a Marvel film might not allow. So they're saying they take advantage of the fact that this is a series. They, they, They stretch... Um, not stretch it out is the right word, but they pace it out in such a way that they don't feel like they have to rush through the narrative because it's a show, not a movie. Great. Well, then the Variety liked it. The Hollywood Reporter didn't, though. Hollywood Reporter wrote, for the most part, Secret Invasion is more dour and even dull than one might expect from its uh, John DeCare Graham Green t- trapping. So... It's good and it's bad. Then we see comicbook.com liked it. Uh, they said Secret Invasion is absolutely fine. <laughs> so that's high <laughs> praise. They said just fine. Yep. Uh, Nerd Reactor liked it. Comicbookmovie.com liked it. Looper didn't like it. Um, and so on and so forth. So right now, a 68% for a Secret Invasion. Um, and I'm telling you, it, a 68 is not far off from where I kind of thought this might come. Because like I said, I like the script. I don't think it's the greatest thing I've ever read. I like what I've seen so far. I don't think it's the greatest stuff I've seen so far. But I think it's good. I I think Secret Invasion is good. And that's all I think a rational fan should be looking for. Is it good? Now, you hope it's great. But will it, at the end of the day, at least be enjoyable? And we'll see. Yeah, uh, And the last series before this one was She-Hulk, right? Was that the last one? Before, like the last Marvel? I think so. I think so. Let's say if it was, would you guess the uh, Rotten Tomato score in She-Hulk? Oh. Well, you got to remember, the Rotten Tomato score on She-Hulk 
was mostly based on just the first two oh, episodes. Oh, okay, that Remember? explains it. Because they let a bunch of the press see the first two episodes, and then a lot of them wrote their reviews just based on the first two episodes. Oh, okay. Now, if you had asked me what <laughs> I thought of She-Hulk well, after just the first two episodes, I would have said, yeah, this is pretty good. Because I did. I thought the first couple of episodes are pretty good. Ooh, that changed. <laughs> that changes. I got into the rest of the series, and I realized huh, this is not funny. This is a comedy that is not funny. And but what were the critic scores on it? Oh well, the t- tomato meter was eighty percent. See, and, and but, you know what? And I get that the first two episodes, I would have been part of the eighty percent too. The audience score is where it really shines. Where was the audience score? Thirty-two <laughs> percent. Yeah, and that's where I would have ended up with that. I mean that that show had a lot of promise, but here's hoping. Here's hoping. Now, unlike She-Hulk, I actually had a chance to read the script of this one, so I hope it turns out and lives up to its potential. I'm very scared Marvel is almost really close. Well, not really close to having a documentary, you know, documentary era area for me where it's like the rise and fall of Marvel. We're almost there. They got to keep the ship afloat. Hey, listen, they just got a very much needed win. Right. With Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Right. They needed that. Yeah, that they needed need to come that. along at that right time, right? Because I have contended for a little while now that that magic, the Marvel magic is gone. Not that they don't still have great things. When I say that Marvel has lost the Marvel magic, I don't mean that none of their stuff is good anymore. I mean that unattainable magic that you had in the Marvel movies for the first three phases— not that every movie Marvel made in the first three, three phases were great. There was Thor, The Dark World. There was Iron Man 2. But it got to the point that so many of their movies were so good that every time... See, when I go to a movie, I know there's a 50-50 chance that I'm going to really like it or maybe really not like it, right? That's movie going. But with Marvel, for the first three phases, it was just, I'm going to a new Marvel movie. I just assume it's going to be awesome because almost all, almost all of the Marvel projects in the first three phases would hit the the hat trick. Big box office response, big critic response, big audience responses, all of them, all the time, every time. And that was the Marvel magic. They lost it because now a Marvel property is just like anything else. It's some of them are going to be great and some of them ain't. And it's a coin toss every time. Like for every Ms. Marvel, which is fantastic, you get a She-Hulk. For every Guardians 3, which is fantastic, you get an Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And it's just, you never know what you're getting with Marvel now. And plus, I think the opposite has happened. What I expected at first when the Disney Plus series would come out was these would be supplements to their movies. Like these would be the things that you watch heading into movies. Maybe it's going reverse. Like these things are hurting the movies, especially if they're poor series that actually are connected to the next movie. Maybe because so far, while WandaVision and Ms. Marvel were fantastic, everything else, Hawkeye, Moon Knight, She-Hulk, almost everything else has felt unnecessary. You know, just filler content for the sake of feeding the Disney Plus content. And uh, we'll have to see. Might be hurting them. With that down, guys. Yeah, one more little thing I want to touch on. The last thing, I told you there was a lot to to glean from that James Gunn interview. This is the last thing. And it's a tiny thing, but I loved it. So we're going to talk about it. (laughs) It basically (laughs) came up where 
I, I don't know why they got around to talking about this movie in particular. But James Gunn in this interview revealed what he believes is the greatest comic book movie of all time. And it's not what you think. Because Michael Rosenbaum asked James Gunn, number one, what is the best Marvel movie? Number two, what is the best MCU movie? And James Gunn answered those questions. He said, I think the best MCU movie is the first Iron Man. He said, that movie's just yes. fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remember what he said the best overall Marvel movie was. Oh, I know. It's, it's this one. He said the best overall Marvel movie and the best comic book movie of all time is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. James Gunn said the best comic book movie ever is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Now, I, the fun thing is, I think this interview was recorded prior to him seeing Across the Spider-Verse. So I don't know. I don't know if he thinks Across the Spider-Verse is even better or whatever. But I loved that you had this guy who directed in the MCU, the guy who is currently the head of DC, and he pulled out a Sony movie to say that is the greatest comic book film of all time. And you know what? It, it's not mine, but you know me. I, I've said forever, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse came out in 2018, the same year that two other great comic book movies came out. <coughs> Avengers Infinity War and Black Panther. Both magnificent. And the best, I've always said, the best comic book movie of that year was Spider-Man. It was the year of Miles Morales. It was not the year of T'Challa. It was not the year of Thanos. It was the year of Miles Morales. That was the best comic book movie that year. And so I I don't personally think it's the best comic book movie of all time, but I love hearing James Gunn, a Marvel director, the president and CEO of DC Films, saying, yeah, neither of us. It's Sony. Sony made the best comic book movie ever. And I just think that's fascinating. That what a great, those are two great answers because you're, there's only one Marvel movie that I've ever bought on DVD. It's that old. It's Which, Iron Man 1. That's, that's the one you bought on that's physical media. That's the only one I bought. The special features on there are so great from beginning of pre-production to the red carpet all the way through. It's just an awesome DVD set to have. If you guys haven't seen it, it's great. Into the Spider-Verse, when, when the trailers first came out and they showed him running through the street right. and you saw the com comic bubbles in such oh, a different yeah. way. So well used. I knew that thing was going to be crazy, unique, and amazing. It ended up being amazing. Um, yeah, I don't I don't fault him for answering both those, giving those, both those answers. I want to ask so Jonathan, Jonathan, if, if you were posed that question, what do you think is the best Marvel movie ever made? Marvel movie, not even overall best oh, comic movie. overall? Just Marvel. Which one do you, would you say is the best Marvel movie ever made? Oh, man. I don't know. Um, Spider-Man 2 is still up there for me just because of, like, maybe it just resonated with me at the time. Really? Iron Man 2? No, no, no Spider-Man. Spider oh, Spider-Man 2. I was going to say, because Iron Man 2 yeah, is the worst really one they've ever made. <laughs> as far as MCU, my favorite is still Winter Soldier. Oh, so good. It's still my favorite. So of, of good. MCU. As, as good as that movie is, I don't find myself urging to rewatch it a lot. That's where I have to maybe rethink what my I, I like to include that now. Which one, if I had a, a thing to watch again, which one would I pick? Winter Soldier, as good as it is, and it's really good. I'm not sure my rewatch value for that is really high. Well, you know, it's, that's the funny thing about movies. Like sometimes the better movies are not necessarily the most rewatchable, and sometimes the most rewatchable are not necessarily the best movies. But so the two, like for me, it's still the first Avengers movie. Like I still think that's arguably 
might be the greatest comic book movie of all time is that first one. Um, but Winter Soldier is so freaking good. Uh, Civil War is so freaking good. The first Kenneth Branagh Thor movie is so freaking oh, yeah, good. Man. We watched that like 15 times. Oh my God. I went to the before movie Before it even came old. out. Yeah. I went to go see that movie a lot. I saw that movie three times before it ever officially and even I think came I was out. I with you all those times. Every time I went, I had to go see that one. All right, guys. Listen, with that down, we're now going to move on and take the questions from our YouTube channel members and their topics and questions that they wanted to raise. Uh, but before we get to that, we're going to take another moment here and thank another sponsor of today's episode of the podcast, my mobile service provider. And seriously, they really should be your mobile service provider too. our friends at Mint Mobile. We want to thank a sponsor of this video, Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, your utility bills and favorite streaming services, inflation is everywhere. Seriously, make it stop. Thankfully, there's one company out there that's giving you a much needed break. It's Mint Mobile. As the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you order from home and save a ton with phone plans starting at just $15 a month. You guys know that ever since I switched to Mint Mobile, I've been saving almost 70% a month over my my old phone plan. For people looking for extra savings this year, Mint Mobile offers premium wireless for just $15 a month. By going online only and eliminating the traditional cost of retail, Mint Mobile passes the significant savings on to you. All of their plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with all your existing contacts. Switch to Mint Mobile and get premium wireless service starting at just 15 bucks a month. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash campia. That's mintmobile.com slash campia. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia. And thank you to our friends at Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode of the John Campy Show podcast. By the way, guys, when you go and check out and support our sponsors, you're actually supporting us. So if you look in the description, you'll find links and promo codes to all of today's sponsors. And thank you again to Mint Mobile, Masterclass, and ExpressVPN. All right. With that down, guys, let's get over to the questions submitted by our YouTube channel members. Jonathan, what do we got up first? Okay, Amin writes, happy 10th anniversary to Man of Steel. It also marks the same amount of time most of us have been watching you, John. Crazy yeah. how it's been 10 years since that infamous spoiler talk video. What's your all-time favorite quote from the film? Oh, well, my my all-time <laughs> favorite um, quote moment, everything from that film, and one of my favorites of all comic book films in history, is when a young Clark says to his dad, can we just keep pretending I'm your son? And Kevin Costner takes him in his arms and with amazing emotion in his voice saying, you are my son. That is one of the best moments I honestly believe in any comic book movie ever. I love that. That's not it. That's not it? Yeah, you're it's wrong, John, the, I guess. It's the people. The people. The pe That's right. Because <laughs> the it's first secondary. Favorite turned... part, General, General Zod. My people. That's where he turned <laughs> Filipino for a second. That's what I would like to believe. He, he, he got the inner Filipino out. <laughs> The people. <laughs> Ray, whenever I remember watching that movie with Ray, and every time he would say people, like Ray, Ray just starts crying. It's this heavy emotional scene for General Zod, and Ray's just cracking up. People. People. All right, what's next? <laughs> hey, uh, from Leo. Hey, John and crew. Uh, have you rewatched Across the Spider Verse since they fixed the sound mixing? Saw it three times from the original cut, and I'm excited to hear. 
uh, excited to hear it like it was supposed to sound. No, I have not heard it. Now, look, as much as I complained about the sound mix, at least unlike one or two Christopher Nolan offerings, I could still understand what was being <laughs> said, right? Like in the in the the main part of the sound problem was in the first piece of the movie with Gwen Stacy. And it, she was just, the volume of her dialogue was way too low compared to the sound mix and the music. But even though it was too low and I had to struggle to hear it, I could hear it. It was a bad mix, but I could still hear it. So I look forward to seeing it again with the fixed audio, but it's not going to change my viewing experience too terribly much because it's not like I'm going to be going from, oh, that's cool because I never knew what she said in the first part of the film. I did. I was able to hear it. It's just that the mix should be better. All right, what's next? Uh, From Lucas Slater. (coughs) Hey, John and crew. John is an MMA fan. What are your favorite martial arts movies of all time? Also, what did you think of Charles uh, and Amanda's performances over the weekend? Uh, Ray, do you like watching UFC fights uh, with John and uh, Jonathan or Matt? Uh, any Batman? Okay, so yeah, uh, can't squeeze in four or five questions in, yeah. in one submission. I, I only I only watch UFC with John. That's that's the only way I watch. I mean, that's that's when I know the big fights are on, and that's when I I can actually ask who is this guy because recently all the cards I don't know half or ninety percent of the people anymore because UFC is a is a, a train that keeps moving. It's got a even if you don't yeah. watch, if you don't, even if you keep up with all the pay per views, you're not going to know everybody because there's someone new, there's someone really good, there's a lot of prospects there. So I go to John and watch when it's a stacked card, and I'm like, "Who's this guy? Tell me about him." John lets me know everything I need to know, or at least for that fight, and that's it. That's 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 my UFC. Uh, as as far as the card, uh, Charles Oliveira, he's a beast. I mean, he is just a slick. He used to be nothing but a great submission artist, but his striking has become top-notch as well. And there's only one guy in the division he can't beat, and he won't beat. But he has beaten, other than than the champ, he has beaten everyone in that division. The best of the best. He's a beast. And Amanda <clears throat> Nunez um, went out there, delivered another big dominant performance, uh, and retired. Oh, she um, did? She retired at the end of the fight. She took her two belts. Wow. Put him down on the ground. She beat and she did for a UFC when a UFC fighter retires, the tradition is now they take off their gloves and put them down in the center of the ring. And that's what Amanda Nunez did. She took her two belts, put them down, cut off her gloves, put the gloves down, announced her retirement. Um she's financially set for life. Uh there's nothing else she can do with her career. Uh, she's beaten everybody she needed to beat. She can't erase the losses that she's had. So there's, it's not like you, if you keep winning, you erase your losses. She's done everything she can do in the sport. Her and her wife have a kid. And I think she mentioned they're expecting to have another kid. Uh, and I think now she just wants to be mom. Remind me, else. did they ever rematch the Valentina and um, her? They already fought twice. Oh, okay, okay. No, but sorry, like sorry. a lot of people thought Valentina won the one. The problem was Valentina lost her last fight. Yeah, that's the problem. So that kind of messed up yeah, yeah. any kind of that super really fight did. again, right? Yep. So, yeah, there's that. All right, what's next? All right. Uh, Elizabeth uh, Harada writes, Hi, John and crew. During the Variety Actor or – Actor on actor interview, Elizabeth Olsen said she's done playing Wanda. Could this be a negotiation tactic, or is the Scarlet Witch really dead? I, if I'm rem- if I'm remembering the quotes that I read right, she did not straight up say I'm done playing Wanda. 
She didn't say that. She said she's fine with the idea of being done playing Wanda. She's like, hey, I have loved playing this character, but I've I've played her for years. And if I am done, I'm perfectly fine that I'm done. Like, it's like, I'm not, she said, I'm not on the phone with Kevin Feige or calling Kevin Feige every day with 10 ideas about my character. It's like, hey, if that's it, if I'm done, then I'm totally happy. I, I'm totally satisfied. But just to be clear, she did not come out and say, I am finished playing Wanda Maximoff. She didn't say that. She just said, if her time is over playing the character, she's totally good because she's loved playing the character. She's got to play it for years, got to have a blast doing it, but she did not at all discount the possibility that she may be back. Just, yeah. just to be, she may or may not come back. I'm just saying, be clear. She did not, she, she wasn't coming she back. She was great in that role. She's so good. And I, I would contend this after watching Dr. Strange, the multiverse of madness, which is not the best MCU movie, but I would contend that after that, I don't know other than Steve Rogers that any character in the MCU has had a better story arc than Wanda. When you go through, you know, when they first brought her in, that her mistake causes the events of Civil War, the development from there, then all the amazing stuff that happens in WandaVision, her turn, what happens to a good character when things like that happen to them, and she becomes what she becomes in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse. I honestly believe her character has had the best story arc other than Steve out of all the dozens of characters in the MCU. I really do. And if her time is over, it's over. Mm-hmm. And if she comes back, I'll be thrilled to see her come back. All right, what's next? Okay, Shaky Jake 93 writes, Hey, Small Farmers, really loving the podcast. Are any of you fans of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I've seen almost every show there is, and Sunny might be my all-time favorite show. Plus, the new season is great. Keep farming smiles. Love y'all. You know what's funny? I really like the people in It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I love Rob McElhenney. Mm-hmm. Um, not just because he's a co-owner of Wrexham Soccer with Ryan Reynolds, but his movie, uh, uh, what's it called? His show, I mean, uh, something quest. Uh, epic, <laughs> Mythic. Mythic, Mythic quest. quest, thank you. Um, Ann and I love watching Mythic Quest. Yeah, I think show. he's great on that show. Charlie Day, I love Charlie Day. I have never watched It's Always Sunny Spaceship. in Philadelphia. What? Spaceship. Oh, Spaceship. <laughs> That's Charlie Day in Lego movie. Spaceship. I I have never watched It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, I man. love Danny DeVito. Me too. I, I love, love like it. almost everybody involved with it, and I've never heard anything but good things about it. It's been running a long time. Like I, I, I was about off. to ask, how long has it been on? I got to look that up. It's a long time. Like I, I was on it for like six, six seasons, I'd say. But that, I mean, it's still going. Every time, I guess it's been at least ten years, hasn't it? Yeah, I'm gonna look. Maybe yes, maybe no. Every time I flipped the channels and saw, uh, saw like it was on, it, it gave me that Cheers vibe. Is is this? Is it anywhere close oh my to gosh. Cheers? I, I've never seen it. Oh I yeah, mean, yeah, Jonathan. I mean, how many seasons? Season sixteen. I never would have thought it. Well, would. Well, Bravo for a show who can go that seasons. long. Yeah, I mean that's that today that's yeah. unheard of. A show I watched running through like season six or seven, and then I kind of it's become The Simpsons because Supernatural like got to what fifteen seasons. Yep, I believe you're and right. It, and everybody's louding is like one of the longest running shows. But, but sixteen seasons, unbelievable. But no, never watched it. And they're still on. He said he's watching yep, the new yeah, season. Yeah, I, I saw an ad for it the other day of the new season, mm-hmm. and I never watched it. I got I got to give it a shot sometime. Okay, we got time for like maybe two more. What's next? All right. Dildar the Glorious writes, rest in peace to another comics legend, John Romita. Yes. A senior. He was 93. His work on Spider-Man and creating Wolverine will go down as some of the greatest of all time uh, for comics. Yeah. And one, his most iconic image, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think it was his. The most iconic image I think he ever did was the one cover 
of, and it's iconic where Peter Parker had thrown the Spider-Man costume in a trash can. Yeah. It's number it's 50, him, right? Spider-Man no more. Something like that. And he's, and you just see the back of Peter Parker walking away with the, the thing in the background. Yeah. Very, it was really, really sad to hear that. I didn't know he passed away. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. All right. What's next? All right. We've got David Aaron. If writers and actors are given the streaming residuals they're asking for, would we see an increase in streamers uh, removing shows, movies, uh, still with the unions, 100%? Um, well, see, no, not necessarily, because they would only have to pay the, the actors and writers residuals if people are actually watching it. See, the problem that a lot of the streamers are having right now is that the deals are made, they're not the same types of deals with broadcast television. You see, under the current system and the way the agreements are done, just a show being on Netflix, it doesn't matter if anybody watches it or not. A show just being on Netflix, Netflix has to pay out a licensing fee. And and, and what some people still call a residual, but doesn't function like a normal residual, but they're paying out fees, paying them out. For a show that nobody watches and isn't doing anything for them. That is why you've seen a lot of the streamers, whether it's Netflix, Disney Plus, Max, whatever, they've started to remove a bunch of shows. Not because they're trying to take away shows people love, but it's because, hey, our data shows us nobody watches it. And it's costing us money just to have them sitting there. Now, for the actors and writers, what they're searching for is a model that is like broadcast television. That, hey, if 100 people watch the episode, you pay me this much of a residual. If 100 million people watch it, you pay me this much of a residual, right? So I don't think that would bother the streamers so much because in order to pay the residuals, people would have to be watching the shows. In which case, they're perfectly fine and happy. So, yeah, it would be a little bit of a different game. All right, let's let's take one more. What's next? All right. Um, glad I didn't close this out. Uh, <laughs> Jesse has a turtle. Do you think it's essential that Bumblebee doesn't have a voice? I've now watched Bumblebee and Rise of the Beast, and I love how they use the radio this time, but I'd be lying if I said uh, I didn't like his original voice at the beginning of Bumblebee. He, his radio thing was also in the original Transformers too, right? No. The original, uh, the original cartoon, or the, the, the original, movie, the movie. Oh, the original with movie. Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, yeah. He, it was a radio, he, right? Yeah, they talk through the radio. Yeah. Is it essential that Bumblebee speak that way? No. Uh, listen, I think it's very cute, the way they do it, and I think it's it's charming. I like it, but no, he. I, I think they should go back to Bumblebee. Listen, this is the part that's sometimes the the Transformers logic is completely ridiculous. So you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, I know where you're going. You have this, I know where this go. technological being <laughs> who, as the knowledge of the universe, can literally change forms into all these different things, uh, has weapons and missiles and lots of blah, blah, but oh, you know what? I haven't been able to fix his voice box. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the tricky part on Cybertron. That's the most advanced technology is... The voice the box. The voice box. The thing and, is, yeah. I, I don't think they mentioned it was broken in Rise of the Beast at all. Maybe he just likes using that instead to show whatever he's trying to say. Now. Well, no, no well, but remember, this is a sequel oh, right, to right, Bumblebee, right? Oh, sorry. Stupid. Yeah, this is a sequel okay. to Bumblebee. So. Yeah, yeah, you're right. See, that's what I keep you on and the so show. So now, and how do they, did he, did he <laughs> bust his voice box for this one? Since it worked in the first, but now this Transformers Rise of the Beast, it's not working? No, it, it's it's never worked. I mean, it worked in Bumblebee at the beginning, and then he got his voice uh, destroyed. Right. Aye, aye, aye. right? Okay. And it's like, so you're this alien advanced technology, and you can't, like, literally, 
if I took you to Radio Shack, yeah. I could fix you. Like you're right. Really? I never really thought about like where do they, how do they make missiles and bullets? Just they, they, you know, Transformers. Um, but That's again, you go back to the to the original cartoons. Bumblebee never spoke through a radio voice. Again, I don't mind that they did that to give a, an extra little quirk to the right. character. But is it as essential? It, no, it, it, it needs to essential. stop at this movie. Yeah. I agree. Uh, yeah, I, let's, let's give him give that his voice that, back. That come on, Chip voice or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> whatever that little kid's name was. I mean, that, I don't mind if he still throws in like. There's a moment where he goes, "You can't handle the truth." Yeah, like that's I, great. That's great, but first of all, that never would have been on the radio. Yeah, why was that on the radio? Yeah, that wouldn't have been on the radio. Oh, yeah, by the right. way, it's a little part problem with that. So yeah. yeah. All right, guys, that'll do it. For today's installment of the John Campy Show podcast, thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to our YouTube channel members for sending in all those questions. Number one, because you gave us really interesting things to talk about. But number two, just by being YouTube channel members, you support us and all the stuff that we do here. And we thank you guys so much for your support. All right, guys, don't forget, a little bit later today, we've got our live stream open mic show on the YouTube channel. We hope you guys will join us for that. Also, don't forget to come on back tomorrow for the next installment of our podcast. So for Ray Aura, Jonathan Voico, my name's John Campia. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye. <laughs>